Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined by my Hall of Fame co-host and star of the show, Jim Cott. This is Cott's Corner. We're on episode 164. Yeah, 164 on our network here. And before we get going, I, I want to just say a thank you to our audience, 16,100 subscribers as of this morning. Make sure you download, listen, like, subscribe. And the last two components are important. You have to rate and review. Much like there's analytics in baseball right now that we've got to come to grips with and learn, same thing in podcasting. So help us out there. We can continue to provide you great content all week long. If you're going to stream us, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher, if you have a different streaming apparatus, let us know. I'll subscribe to that as well. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'll engage every day with everybody. We have 300 plus questions today. I have not put my one online yet. I'm still deciding. I'm thinking Whatever comes out of our show today may prompt my question to answer. We are now in 72 countries, Jim. We hit Israel last week with Ryan LaBarnway. We talked about him last week being a former player of your 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 good friend at Yale. Uh, 72 countries now, grassroots to Major League Baseball front offices. We've got the ear of everybody. All we're trying to do is build a better baseball IQ, and you certainly do that every show here. Welcome back on a Friday here, Jim. We appreciate your, you being here and getting ready for a big weekend here at baseball. Well, thanks, Dave, and happy birthday, uh, the half-century mark. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. I was joking with you before the show. Our our friends on the other side of the world were wishing me a little premature yesterday about noon, 12 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock. I was getting birthday wishes from the other side of the globe, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, and I just kind of halted them. I said, I appreciate you remembering, but I still got 12 hours to go here. Um, yeah. You know, before we get into uh, the, the obviously the hot topic is the Scherzer suspension, but uh, I would like to give a shout out, I think, to Rob Manfred, maybe Theo Epstein. I don't know who all's on that committee, but I I have never seen the opening of a baseball season. I shouldn't say never, but for a long, long time with everybody kind of feeling good about how the game is going. The, uh, the pitch clock has caused hitters, players, broadcasters, media, fans, vendors probably don't like it, but uh, it has really been a positive change. And uh, I think as much as MLB gets bashed for a number of different things, why they, they certainly, Rob and his crew, uh, deserve a lot of credit for the way the season is off to, uh, to start it that it is. Yeah, they certainly, I mean, with the World Baseball Classic being such a big hit, um, they they certainly took advantage of that momentum and could have very easily gone the other way. Obviously, we had, they had all eyes and ears on baseball, and I'm glad the season's going well. We saw the surprise Rays jump out, I think, what, 11 straight wins, and uh, they, they had a favorable schedule, but, um, you know, they certainly could have dropped a few. But, uh, yeah, just just hopeful that a lot of these, these changes don't become major distractions and People just stay locked in on playing the game and adjusting. So, but uh, first, first topic we were going to get to was uh, was as you said, Max Scherzer, the suspension. Uh, Rosin's been a topic all week. Uh, I guess as you mentioned, similar umpire in both situations. 
What was your takeaway from that? Or I guess paint a picture. What, what happened with Max Scherzer for our audience? Well, I guess now the, the, and I think Max has a, has a great case unless there's something hidden that we don't know about it, but he has a great case against MLB. So you can use rosin, but then they're saying you can't use too much of it because there's a difference between tacky and sticky. Well, to me, the only difference between tacky and sticky is one letter. One word has six letters, the other has five. So uh, when Phil Cuzzy inspected his, his glove and he went in and washed his hands and then came back out, and they're still, they eject him because he's got too much rosin mixed with sweat. Now, he isn't appealing it because he, uh, he wants to get out there and take his turn in 10 days. The Mets pitching staff is pretty banged up as it is. But, uh, you know, part of it, uh, you know, it's kind of sad that it's come to this. But then part of it I, I'm cynical about because that, that's been going on in baseball you know, back in my days, I even read where Run Writer might have said maybe Max Scherzer's hurting his Hall of Fame case by uh, using sticky stuff and getting accused of cheating. Well, you'd have to empty a lot of pitchers, myself included, out of the Hall of Fame for using uh, pine tar and other sticky substances that we used. You know, going back to the 60s, and my take on it always was uh, – if the hitters can use pine tar on their bat and gloves with pine tar, why are they doing that? They're doing it to get a better grip and control the bat. It doesn't slip out of their hands. Well, that's what pitchers are using that for. The ball, the spin rate, the ball only rotates about 14 or 15 times from the time it comes out of the pitcher's hand till it gets to the home plate area. So I can't believe that the the spin makes that much difference in the in the breaking ball. I guess some hitters would say it would, but uh, uh, I guess the the simple solution would be to start. And I, I've talked to Rob Manfred about this. I think they're working on it, but I don't know if they'll when they'll come up with one. Is they have to start with a baseball that has some tackiness to it to begin with. Because it's no different if you're reading a book. Now, we read a lot of our materials online now. But if you're reading a book and you go to turn the page and it slips a little, what's the first thing you do? You lick your fingers and you create a little bit of traction there to turn the page. Well, that's the same thing that pitchers want to do with the ball and hitters do with the bat. So if you want to make it an even playing field and you're going to start suspending guys for using rosin, on their glove mixed with sweat, then take away batting gloves, take away sticky substance that the batters use, take away the protective armor and regulate the bats so that they're a certain weight or length, no more, no less, and the density of the barrel. Uh, a pitcher has no defense. I saw Maeda got hit in the ankle uh, yesterday, the pitcher has no defense with that ball coming back at him 110 miles an hour. So, you know, to make it an even playing field, take it away from the hitters as well, that sticky substance, or start with a ball that's tacky to begin with. I, as a, as a former hitter, I couldn't agree more. I, I always say this on, on all of our shows, I could care less what the pitchers put on their hands my main concern up there is there's a guy throwing anywhere from 91 to 101 
And I, I want to make sure he feels in total control of that ball. <laughs> That's my concern. Sure. Um, because at any point in time with, with the lack of control, we've, we've seen a little bit this year, I mean, lack of command, I right. can, well, I I can I, maim you. So what's, what's, the, what's the rule, Jim? I mean, there was, it sounds like they were quibbling. It was the same umpire who said it was Cousy, right? Yeah, Phil, Phil Cousy, I guess, has been involved in it. Now, um, I don't know the rule word for word, but I guess there is, um, there is kind of a – I don't think you can quantify it, a statement that says they can use rosin and that creates tacky – uh, tackiness, but it can't be too tacky or it can't be too sticky. Well, how do you register, you know, how do right. you regulate that? Now, before this came about in the 60s, and I, I've told this story before, uh, you know, it said it's illegal to put a foreign substance on the ball, but it never carried a punishment. And uh, Jim Honichick, the veteran umpire, had said to me one day, he came up behind second base and said, Lefty, I see what you're doing. You're putting a foreign substance on that ball. It's illegal. I said, no, Jim, it's not a foreign substance made in North Carolina. And he laughed and went back to second base. Well, most pitchers use, use that, particularly in cold weather where you want to get a grip on the ball. And uh, what what is what is different and what was different in those days that – Pitchers took it too far where they were actually defacing the ball. Uh, without naming names, we used to be able to collect balls that had a little, where a pitcher used sandpaper and it had a little scuff mark. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes they would, the catchers would rub it up the side of their shin guards to, you know, scuff it up a little bit. Uh, and, and hitters actually used cork bats. Now, whether that's a fair way to look at the game, but... Uh, I think it was just more or less accepted in those days, but all of a sudden there's an outcry about the spin rate, and I, I can't imagine it's that big a deal. Yeah, it, it sounds like they're quibbling a little bit, and I commend Scherzer for kind of – he said his piece, and as you mentioned, he wants to get his next start in a rotation, doesn't want to prolong this. But I think it's going to take somebody prolonging it to – make a big deal about this and really get some specificity yeah. to the rule. Now, now Rocco Baldelli, the manager of the Twins, he had an incident uh, earlier in, uh, in New York, uh, last weekend in New York, yeah, where they called about Domingo Herman uh, having, you know, too much rosin sticky. And so Rocco was trying to take advantage of the rule that says, no, you, you, you know, you can't have that much sticky stuff on it. Well, they allowed him to go on and pitch. And supposedly all he had was rosin and perspiration. And that's what Scherzer had, but they they opted to eject him and subsequently, uh, you know, suspend him. So I'm sure, I'm sure the heads are together in uh, at Park Avenue saying, what are we going to do about this? Because if they're saying that rosin is legal and you mix it with perspiration, uh, I mean, that's a natural substance coming out of your forehead and, and in your hands and you mix right. that with rosin it gets a little sticky a little tacky uh how can you determine what's too much and what's not enough so they they've uh, they've got to make a decision on on that i think of course the answer is very simple would be to find a ball that starts with a bit of tackiness to it i think uh, I know they've used it in Japan, and, and Joe Ryan, who's uh, this terrific young pitcher with the Twins, 
when he came back from Japan last year, he had one with him in the broadcast booth. And I grabbed a hold of it and I said, this is perfect. It had a little tacky substance to it. You didn't have to add anything. And that would that would solve the problem. Just make that ball the, you know, the official ball. Yeah. And I noticed in the Baldelli situation, I don't know if it was the same with Scherzer. One of his complaints also was that Herman had a, his own rosin bag in the dugout. And I guess there's there's obviously a standard one on the mound but he had an issue with him using his own personal rosin bag in the dugout instead of the one on the mound. Is that, I mean, is that a big deal? I've never, well, never and, and unless he had something strange in that rosin bag, I, I used to, and I know a lot of pitchers did both on my team and against my team is on my way out to the mound on a cold day after our team hit the bat boy would be bringing back this pad that had pine tar on it that the hitters use. And I would just tap my fingers on that pad. So I had a little pine tar on my fingers to start the inning. Just, you know, to in Minnesota, that ball was, you know, like a uh, like a snowball if you didn't right. have something to grip. And the, the other thing with a pitcher being able to grip it uh, is there would be fewer hand injuries. I mean, the hitters right now, I feel bad for Kyle Farmer got, got hit in the face. And I know Lucas Giolito feels badly about it. He, it wasn't intentional by any means, but hitters by and large start their move into the ball practically before the pitcher has let it go. They dive into the ball because they're so conscious of the high velocity. And we've seen several hand injuries uh, because of that and, and guys getting hit elsewhere. But, you know, the old rule used to be with, with hitting or the mechanics is as you stepped in, your front shoulder was closed and your hands were back. Yeah because you didn't dare dive into the ball or the pitcher's going to like buzz one up there and push you off the plate. But when you have all that body armor, body protective armor, there's no fear. And uh, the legal brush back pitch is really missing in, in the game. Uh, I think that would be such a legal weapon for the pitchers to use along with a tacky baseball, because as good a start as the game is off to, we, uh, we hate to see an incident like this happen with uh, uh, with any pitcher, and there you have one of the premier, you know, pitchers in the in the game. So if you're a Mets fan and they're at home and you've got a ticket four days from now, you were hoping to see Max Scherzer pitch. Well, you're not going to see him for ten days. Yeah, that's uh, and and I I like the idea of the legal brushback pitch and the tackier ball, and it does it combats the body armor that hitters use. Yeah. And uh, the pine tar that they use, what's fair is fair. I know if I went up there with sweaty hands in the middle of the summer and couldn't use pine tar on my batting gloves, I mean, I, I'm going to have less, I don't want to say, yeah, I'd have less control and I'd have less sure. certainty and I wouldn't swing the bat um, yeah. with, with precision. Yeah, or they could make a, a ball that had a little more of a coarse uh, cover to it or you know, or something that I, th I think they can do something with it. But if they're telling a pitcher they could use rosin, and then you mix sweat, which is natural, with rosin. And then they say, well, that's too much. How do you know that? How can you quantify what is enough rosin and what what is it? What's tacky, which is legal? What's sticky, which isn't? Uh, boy, baseball's got to come to grips with that and figure out how they're going to, you know, how they're going to uh, stop from this uh, happening. Because, you know, pitchers, just like hitters, used to cork the bats. They're going to find a way to get a grip 
on that ball. I mean, for the past several years, I know it was bullfrog and, and uh, rosin, the uh, sunscreen. So yep. there's, there's different ways that uh, they will find a way to grip the ball. Uh, and, and I know the hitters say, well, his spin rate has increased. I mean, that ball doesn't turn over that much uh, between uh, home plate and, and uh, between the mound, the release point and, and home plate. It's just uh, gives you a little better grip than if it were just completely slick. Yeah. And you mentioned 14 to 15 rotations. Yeah, that's that. all it turns. Yep, that's uh, and I actually liked more spin on the baseball when I was hitting because you know for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction. I figured I thought I got better spin on the baseball when I was hitting it the other direction. And I, I want to ask one more question related because you, you mentioned this last show and I wrote it down and I forgot. And you kind of brought it up today. The, the hitter's approach now, the, the legal brushback pitch. We talked a little bit about it last show, the mechanics of it. But the hitters today are being taught this barrel dump which when you dump the barrel, that causes that front shoulder to open up. And it makes me cringe every time I see it because, as you mentioned, it exposes – you're in a very vulnerable position as a hitter. Your face is exposed. Your body's exposed. And as a hitter, we're always taught how to take – to get hit by a pitch. You start that movement backwards. You take it on the back of your shoulder, and it protects right. you. It's to be safe. Yeah. I mean, do, do you see that with the hitters as well? Is that – in addition to diving in, is oh, that? Oh a- yeah, it's it's been going on for a while, and I think it's the increased velocity that's caused hitters. Uh, you know, years ago, in a legal standpoint, I remember talking to Chili Davis, uh, and, and who was a terrific switch hitter in the, in the big leagues for many years, and and as he got a little older, the bat was a little slower, so he said, "I have to cheat on this guy as fastball a little bit." By that, he means I got to start a little sooner. Well, when you start a little sooner and your hands get out in front, as you, you've said in re, you mentioned in recent years, I just saw one again the other day. I forget who it is. It's a pretty well-known player. I think that uh, that's going to spend some time on the disabled list. They get hit in the back of the hand because their hands are exposed. And uh, yeah. you're right. Years ago, uh, hitters would tell, okay, when the pitcher shows me his front shoulder, I show him mine. They keep it closed as long as possible. But I think the way that's changed and with the barrel dump you talked about, they know there is no fear of getting hit. They think of uh, knocked down. So they just dive into the ball. If you watch a Josh Donaldson at bat, he's probably the gold standard. I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. He yeah. He just, he just starts and dives into that ball. And, and I'm thinking, boy, that's where the legal – you know, throw the pitch under his arms and make a hitter move his feet. And it's kind of, hey, don't be don't be diving in ahead of time. That inside part of the plate and the inside few inches belong to me as much as they do to you. Yeah. And I, I was sharing your story about how you would train your pitchers. They'd go take BP and they'd come in and throw three or six. I'm sorry. I think you said six legal brushback pitches where you would stand in the box with your, your arms up. I, I can't remember who I shared it with, but it was a former MLB pitching coach. And they, they laughed and like, boy, he's a brave man. He's a brave man. But could you yeah, share with the audience? I wore, a, I wore a two-sided helmet, and I would just have, as, as I practiced myself uh, with a hitter up there, is lift your, you know, lift your elbow up and, and try to throw a half a dozen pitches underneath the armpit, below the neck, underneath the armpit, which would make the hitter move his feet. And you learn to control that pitch. And it's a valuable weapon. Uh, 
you know, when you find a hitter, there's all of a sudden, like I was a down and away pitcher to right-hand hitters. I faced mostly right-hand hitters and I wanted the ball moving down and away and they'd hit it on the end of the bat if I executed my pitch. But if they dove in and they started hitting the ball solidly to right field, then my defense was, okay, I've got to push you off the plate, not hit you, to protect and keep that outside corner fertile because that's my zone. I need to own that zone to get you out. So the legal brushback pitch is, uh, is a valuable weapon. Yeah. And I see a lot today too. Again, I keep moving. I want to, I keep wanting to move on, but I, I, you keep bringing up great points. I don't see guys move in the box anymore like they used to. So I, I, I watched something on Pete Rose the other day and he said, there's six ways that I could get myself out of a funk. I can move up in the box, back, close to the plate, further away, choke up, choke down on the bat. I see guys digging those feet in there. And maybe that's a part of what you're saying. There's no legal brushback. They dig in that back foot and I'm not too far removed, I guess, but that was like a telltale sign. Like you were going to get dumped if you did that. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. You know, like uh, Gibson might, might walk off the mound and say, how much, how much deeper are you going to dig that hole till I'll make you move out of it? You know? But I think uh, to your point, I think the only hitter uh, that I see and saw on a regular basis in Minnesota that, that moves around and that's Luis Arise. I think he's still hitting about 450, but we always thought we being those that follow the twins that he, he reminded us a lot of Rod Carew because nobody moved around in the box more than Rodney. I mean, every pitch, pitch to pitch at bat to at bat, he was always adjusting to whoever the pitcher was where he stood in the box. And, you know, sinker ball pitchers, you'd find seasoned hitters try to get way in front so you catch that ball before it has its maximum uh, sink. Sometimes they were, uh, they'd get, I forget who it was, they got called out for actually stepping out of the box on the front side of it uh, because they got in the front of the box too much. But the, the hard throwers, guys might, you know, stand in the very back of the batter's box and the sinker ballers, they'd get way up front. Yeah. yeah I don't see that anymore. And I, I saw that video, Pete, Pete Rose was talking to A-Rod and Frank Thomas and, even they were surprised by it, and they're you know yeah. guys that are retired. So it's been going on a little while. Little while. Uh, Want to move into? You know, we're talking pitching right now. Um, notice a lot of base stealing going on this year, which is exciting. I, I love the stolen base. I know the bags are bigger. The pitch clock has something to do with it, where guys are you know you, you can time it a little bit, and there's a you can only throw over a certain number of times. But the bigger picture, and again, you obviously pitched a pitched a long time in the big leagues and was a pitching coach and then all your time in the broadcast booth. Are pitchers being taught how to hold run? This generation of pitchers, have they been taught how to hold runners on? You know, I really, I really don't know that. I'm uh, obviously, and I, I don't say that I just say this kind of tongue in cheek cynically. I'm not bitter about it, but I, I don't get asked by, uh, by current pitching coaches or pitchers, how I did things. Are we, they just, you know, they uh, they rely on different sources. But when speed became a factor in the 70s, when the Oakland A's had uh, Campy Campaneris and they had Bill North, and then Charlie Finley signed this Herb Washington, a famous sprinter who was a designated runner, uh, then, then holding runners on became much more important. Up until that time, you had Louis Aparicio in the 50s and 60s, and he was one of the few 
threats till Rod came along, Rod Carew, who stole home seven times in 1969. Uh, but that's where Johnny Singh taught me the slide step, where uh, I, I, I think I was the first pitcher to ever use it, and uh, where you anchored all your weight, you kind of sat back on your back leg, and then you just sprung toward home plate. Uh, I didn't have a particularly good move to first, and I didn't throw to first very often. Uh, I would step off one time, but that's all I needed. But I could hold the ball and hold the runner because uh, he didn't know if I was going to throw over there or not. And then quickly unload it. I got to where I could unload the ball from movement to mitt in less than a second. Uh, I'm sorry, 1.8 seconds. No, it was it was less than that. It was it was less than a second, and we really didn't give up many stolen bases because one of the best compliments I ever got is that Lou Brock told me, "You're the only guy I, I didn't try to steal on because I couldn't read you because I never knew when you were going to start your motion." Uh, so I think that's really what the pitchers would have to learn to do is use that slide step motion, but they probably would not be taught that because modern coaching would say. You're not able to get maximum velocity by doing that. <laughs> You're right. Well, what they don't realize is what it does to the hitters, and that's what Brooks Robinson told me. He said, boy, you picked up a foot on your fastball. I said, Brooksy, I'm not throwing any, any faster than I did, probably not as fast, but the ball's getting on you quicker because my motion, I'm releasing it quicker, and I'm not giving you as much time to, you know, to start your, as you know, from being a hitter, when you see the pitcher begin to wind up, you begin to kind of load up on your backside or whatever you do to start hitting. Well, yeah. with that slide step or quick motion, uh, you took that away from the hitter. So the ball got on them, got on them quite a bit faster than they anticipated, even though the velocity wasn't faster. Oh yeah. I hated guys that quick pitched like that. It's yeah. your timing, your timing their leg and their shoulder, but you use that to time the, you know, the separation between the hands and the ball uh, from yeah. the ball and it's all got its order. And anytime that's all you got to do is get a hitter off just a little bit and you got yourself a pop-up or a rollover. And Yeah. You know. Now I, now I think I understand that, that teams are and baseball may have to do something about that too. They're starting to instruct their hitters to call a legal timeout. Yeah. Uh, and they get one per at bat or something. Yeah, it's like uh, basketball now, right? You get a 30 yeah, second. So that's, that's what uh, my good friend, the late Bobby Mercer, he tricked me out in San Francisco. Uh, I'm hooked up with Ed Halicki, nothing, nothing. We're breezing along. The game ended, I think, at about a buck 35. And it didn't end the way I wanted it to. But I really was, you know, just quick pitch, quick, give me the ball, throw it up. And so Bobby, and in those days, hitters could do this. He called time and he asked for the ball. He wanted a new ball. So as I was lobbing the ball into the home plate umpire, he got in the box and got himself ready. And then I went and with my quick pitch and he was ready for it. And he jerked it over the right field wall, beat me one, nothing. Oh. Uh, we, we, uh, we got a chance to work Yankee games together. We talked about that at bat quite a bit, but uh, that was the one defense hitters uh, did. And I don't think, I don't think hitters or pitchers could call for a new ball anymore. No. And I that, see, that's the thing with all these rules, the, the over legislation. Um, I know we've got to work through it and deal with it. That cat and mouse that you and Bobby Mercer played, that's what I hope is not missed in this yeah. game with all that stuff. So when you're on the mound, I know you said you didn't, you didn't have a great pickoff move, but you found a way to keep that runner off balance. 
I notice when guys look over, and I've asked some pitchers this, um, younger pitchers, um, and, you know, they're professional players, what are you looking for? And I get a long moment of pause. You know, I, I sense sometimes they're just peeking over just because that's what they feel they're supposed to do. When you were looking at a runner, what were some indicators or what were you looking for? You know, length of lead. I know it's different for every guy, but what were some things you'd look for? Yeah, that, that's good. That's a good point because I had an advantage. I was left-handed. The Red Sox had a pitcher, and he went on to pitch for a few other teams too. Clay Buckholz had a, a nice career, but he 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 had a phobia. Without even thinking, he was so drilled into his head to throw to first base that, you know, he could have a tank leading off first base, and he'd throw over there uh, just by habit. But as a left-hander, you you get a better look. So. That grass, that little dirt cutout that forms like a half moon around first base. Yeah. Uh, now, I think they've altered that in, in some stages, but I would find out where a base runner had to be before it looked like he's going to go. I didn't want him to get beyond that certain point. And if he did, I would either throw the first or I'd step off. But the one thing I think that was schooled into me early on by Eddie Lopat was you could look over there and look to the plate back and forth as many times as you want. But before you throw the pitch, make sure you're looking at your target. And I see a lot of left-hand pitchers get caught. Some, some are pretty effective doing it, but they're actually looking at the runner and starting their motion. And then they pick up the target later. Uh, most times when that happens, they're going to throw the ball high and away to a right-hand hitter. So you need to be focused on your, on your target so but i i had that little spot in mind that i would look at and then the other thing is i, I think the best defense is holding the ball at different counts so sometimes the rules say uh you know you have to come to a complete stop uh the pitchers like uh, phil necro nuxie used to you know he used to abuse that a little bit because as a knuckleballer a lot of guys tried to steal for uh, second base on him so he would barely stop, but technically you're supposed to come to a complete stop at the belt. And then sometimes I would stop, okay, let's go a thousand one and let's go. And then maybe I'd I'd come to set and I'd go, let's wait a couple seconds. So I would vary the amount of time so that the runner could not sort of uh, get in a rhythm and say, okay, he comes to set, he stops one, two, go. So I'll know when to go. So I think that's another defense that uh, that pitchers could use with a man on but I I would be surprised if anywhere that's taught in uh, the big leagues today or in any league yeah well I know with the, with the pitch clock and whatnot there's some strategy that runners are getting running jumps to to second at certain times my my distances I, I can give them out now because I'm not stealing any bases anymore at the at my age so mine at first base I try to get to that 13 foot mark off the bag. And I knew if I could get there, I had a pretty good shot. And then yeah. at second base, it was 21 feet. If I could get to 21 feet, I was going. Um, and then um, I used to hate pitchers that held the ball because I tried to stay on, you know, being a basketball player too and whatnot. I tried to stay on the balls of my feet at first base. That's an athletic position. But the longer those guys held it, and I talked to a pitcher the one time, I asked him, what are you looking for with me? And we were very candid with each other. And he said, I watch when, when you're heels start to get closer to the ground you're not as athletic so i try to hold the ball with you over there until i can see your heels get close around there'll be a moment when you relax your heels get down and i'm 
I'm going to the plate because I know you can't make your pivot like that, like you want to. And now for him, that was great because he was keeping me here. But I also told him, I said, well, now I'm in your head and I know, um, you know, that you're thinking about me more than you are the hitter. Uh, so it's, uh, those are the cat and mouse games that are fun with there. But yeah, my, my heels, I hated that when they held it. That's where, uh, that's where you use the, uh, the oxymoron speed slows the game down. That's right. <laughs> because you get a fast runner and all of a sudden you're going to pay more attention to it. And, uh, that, that's why, for me, the best defense was varying how much you hold the ball and then going to that slide step where I could keep him from from really getting a bead. And and uh, I I found that uh, the hitter lets you know. I, I think by the release, the hitter will let you know if you don't have enough on the ball. But I found even with that slide step, without a full turn and a, and a powerful move, the ball got on the hitter uh, quicker anyway. So... Yep. Uh, you know, that, that was the main thing I wanted to do. I, I love that. I think it's that all the young kids listening and the pitching coaches and parents listening, that's something that I would encourage that you start incorporating into your child's pitching repertoire, because as a hitter, I can time up, I can time any fastball eventually, but that slide step messes with your, your timing as a hitter more than anything I would say. But uh, those are great tips, Jim. I, I think our audience appreciates that. I know I do. Those, that was my selfish question of the show. That was for me. Um, so with um, kind of staying on the base running thing, we, we, we saw Javi Baez uh, have some full pause on the bases. I'm being polite with that word because I can't use certain language on the show. But um, did you happen to catch his incidences with yeah. With there? He, you know, he, he, he hit the – and I guess I can paint the picture. He hit a – his first one was he hit – hit a shot um, instead of sprinting out of the box. He did his look at me right. situation and had another incident on the bases where he just forgot outs and well, give, give your take as a, you can see it from many angles, ball player, coach, broadcaster. What, what would, uh, what would your take be from all three of those angles? Well, it, I, I've, I've seen it over the years and it's always annoyed me. And uh, you know, I, I've always uh, appreciated the, the stat that Kirby Puckett had is they timed him going from home to first the last year he played the same time his rookie year. He got out of the box and he was full bore, even though he wasn't a fast runner, probably four point something to first base, but he ran hard. Uh, Whitey Herzog, when George Brett came up, George hit a ground ball and he didn't run, uh, you know, a hundred percent down the first baseline. And Whitey called him in after the game and he said, do you have any trouble running hard until you're out, obviously, George. No, well, this is the one thing I want you to do. You run hard until you're out because you're my star. And if you do it, everybody else is going to do it. They have no excuse. So all these, all these, uh, what we see with hitters now, getting a hit, looking in the dugout, uh, celebrating, not watching where the ball, I just blame management on that. I can't believe Tom Kelly would tolerate that for a minute. Uh, you know, and if you look at Pete Rose, when Pete Rose got a hit, a single, he was a third of the way to second base, or at least a fourth of the way. So if that outfielder bobbled the ball, he's going into second. Yeah. And that's really what your base runner would do. And base running has gotten, has gotten so sloppy. And, of course, the home run hitters, uh, that, that happens. They hit a ball, and they think it's out, and they break into their trot, and then all of a sudden, oops, it's not out, and it hits the wall, which happens to which happened to Baez. I mean, uh, they need to get some YouTube uh, 
video and watch Willie McGee. When I played with Willie McGee in St. Louis, Willie would hit a home run. He sprints around the bases. He comes sit down next to me in the dugout. I said, Willie, you just hit a home run. You could take your time. He, he looked at me. He said, you know, that pitcher feels bad enough. He said, I don't even want him to know who hit it. You know, so he'd run around the bases. But all those base running, look at me and, and stuff getting on the base. That's that's why I, I really don't watch a lot of baseball because that's that's annoying to me. I like to watch the pitcher-hitter conflict. But and I, I just blame uh, baseball, you know, management for doing it. I don't know if it started in college. But, you know, your responsibility once you've hit the ball is to continue to focus on where the ball is going so you know whether to take an extra base or, or not. Your attention should be on the playing field. And when the game's over and your team's won, there's enough time to celebrate then. Yeah, no, I agree. I, we, and we, you know, we work with a lot of youth players now that, that my time's done coaching collegiately and base running every practice when we're dealing with baseball, the first 20 to 30 minutes of practice is base running and it's mechanics off of live bats. And I just think when you go watch a game, especially, uh, you know, if it's not professional, if it's below that amateur college, high school, as somebody watching who wants to move on to a next level, that's the first thing I notice with a kid to say, Hey, he either gets it or he doesn't get it. And I, I, I fear the same thing you do that players are not being, rewarded for good base running they're certainly not being penalized for bad they may get chewed out for a second but they go right back in the game um, yeah. and it's uh you know, it's, I, I always took a, a we we i would say pitchers of my era or even you know a lot of your pitchers in little league were also good but you know paul o'neill could probably have been a pitcher john olerud uh, now of course we have Shoei otani who's just doing things that are unheard of but uh, I always took a lot of pride in base running, and I uh, I pitch ran 85 times in the big leagues. Uh, and uh, if I wouldn't have gotten picked off, that crafty veteran Steve Hamilton, I went in to run for Harmon, and I was about four steps off the bag, Harmon Killebrew, and Hammy threw over there and picked me off. Other than that, I would have been five for five in stolen bases. So I, I didn't get thrown out trying to steal, but... I, you know, in batting practice, I would practice running along around the outfield grass, around the circle, half circle, uh, running from home to second, and then from first to third, and then from first to second. And that's kind of how I got my, my running in as a pitcher. But I practiced running the bases uh, because before the DH, you know, that was, uh, that was a part of our game to, uh, to learn how to slide, to bunt, to handle a bat, to run the bases and uh i wish it was still here but it's long gone yeah now one last thing on that you mentioned pete rose uh breaking out of the box on a base hit coming you know a third maybe 40 percent of the way to second base i think it's a great visual for for young players out there to think about um go back to that statement you made and explain why that's important and what could happen in a positive way by running that hard well, if you see any video of Pete, when he got a base hit, uh, he was looking toward the outfield to see where the ball went. And he would make his turn at first, and he would, like, dare the outfield. He put a little pressure on the outfielders because if they bobbled the ball, he never stopped. He kept right on going to second. But now uh, guys get a base hit, and they know it's, well, this is just going to be a single. 
So they actually jog down to first base and managers tolerate it. So as long as they do, I mean, that really, I think, is what caused Manny Ramirez some problems is he is such a great hitter. But early in his early days in the minor leagues, I don't think Cleveland uh, in the minor league system, they really didn't enforce making him run hard on every ball he hit down to first base. And uh, uh, Pete Rose, that would never, that would never, and, and it's fortunate we've had a lot of players that have come after that, like David Eckstein and and uh, a lot of them that have run hard from the time they, they hit the ball. Kirby, I mentioned, and there's, there's no excuse for not doing that. So if there is a, a ball bobbled, uh, you could get to second base. Yeah, and you can even force a ball bobble because mentally that outfielder knows. Yeah, he's they, they know if, if Pete Rose, I mean, I'm sure they're all looking at each other saying, hey, a base hit, you better get that thing back into the infield. Yep. And, uh, you know, then also if, if you ran around first base like that and you saw the outfielder lob it into the infield, keep right on going. That's right. Yeah. So you, uh, yeah, base running over the, uh, I, I don't know if it started with a launch angle or the uh, emphasis on just power, but base running, uh, and maybe this year it's picked up now because certainly steal attempts are, but it is really in the last, you know, I'd say two, two, three decades when I was announcing games has really gone south that, that guys are just not as alert or anticipate. Uh, some of your great base runners were not speed demons, Pete Rose being one. Johnny Bench was a good base runner, catcher. Timmy McCarver, uh, my teammate in Philadelphia, catcher, was a good base runner because they anticipated. They looked around, where's the outfielder playing? What kind of arms this guy got? And uh, they, they anticipated that. Baseball is a relatively slow-paced game. But when the ball is hit, things happen in a hurry when you're on the field. So yeah. you have to think ahead of time and anticipate, uh, you know, what you can do as a base runner. And I, I just don't see that happening very much now. Yeah, I agree. And, and for the kids out there, you get on base, there's no excuse for not knowing the outs. In fact, you should show the number of outs, give a verbal and a visual to your base coach, let them know. And every single pitch, you should be checking the outfield, moving your head left and right, see where they're playing, know the outs, see where the outfield's playing. So, you know, if you can take that extra base in the bases. So that great info, Jim. And I, I wanted, I want to get to the Atlantic league, but I had one more uh, player question for you. And uh, I, and I just saw this late last night, Madison Baumgartner. I mean, he, he had a, a kind of a string of dominance for the giants. He's just been designated for assignment and uh, they, they, his team ate $34 million uh, to let him go. Um, did, did you have much, did you get to see Mad Bomb pitch during his prime and, I mean, what can we hope from him? Do you think will he restart? Oh, he was my he was my favorite. You know, I looked up his record, and he it wasn't a it wasn't a career of long effective years. He had really probably five solid years. Yeah, but he came up when he was nineteen and pitched a World Series game at age twenty, and then of course with those three championships, he was such an impressive. I looked it up; he was eight and three in postseason. Even had three complete games. Came in in relief. I just love Mad Bum when, you know, he was just a hardcore rare back and, and here it is. Uh, I saw him up close um, in spring training a few years ago, trying to think of who he was with at that time. Um, and uh, I mean, he's built like, he's 6'4", 240. Yeah. 
I mean, he looks like a linebacker, a defensive end or something. But, you know, if you've been that type of pitcher your whole career, and it happened to Steve Carlton, when Lefty lost his slider, you know, just that little bit of break on his slider, uh, he did not have other things to go to. That's what made Tom Seaver so great is he learned how to change speeds uh, like a Jamie Moyer. And uh, I was fortunate that, you know, that I was, a, I guess I'd say I was a power pitcher in my uh, early minor league years and early big league years. But for the most part, uh, once you suffer a little arm uh, injury of some kind, not not a serious one for surgery, but you, you learn how to pitch. You learn how to change speeds and rely on control. And uh, I don't think Mad Bum probably had to do that. He just lived with the power. And when that runs out or uh, the, the, the sharpness of your breaking ball, uh, then the hitters are going to let you know that. And so your choice as a pitcher is to either change my philosophy and see if I can become a Jamie Moyer or uh, I got enough money in the bank and I got three World Series rings and, you know, he tried the best he could and the the Diamondbacks were gambling. They gave him a ton of money hoping that he would be effective, but yeah. uh, uh, it's obviously reached a point where they just thought it's, it's, you know, time to let him go. Yeah. We've seen that with Chris Sale a little bit, another, another you know, lefty that dominated for a, a short period of time. Um, we, Clayton Kershaw just hit a milestone and that just kind of popped in my head. I was listening 200 wins. Yeah. Um, probably not going to see another 300 win guy ever. I think, uh, maybe Scherzer or Verlander, I think is the closest, but he's in his early forties. He still has, I think 30, 30 plus games to go to hit it. So, um, where's Kershaw sit in your mind in terms of pitching greats? Well, I think you go era by era yeah. and, uh, when you look at, uh, I mean, I, I don't think I was maybe for one year, I would have said I was the best pitcher in the American League, 1966. Uh, but, but not always, you know, maybe in the top three or four several years. But uh, when you look at Clayton and 200 wins, but you look at his career and how he has been the best and has won the Triple Crown, I mean, uh, pitching on a five-man rotation now, unlike his predecessor, Sandy Koufax, who was in every four day and 320 innings a year, because that's the way we were trained and uh, pitchers today aren't trained that way. So certainly uh, you've got to put him up there as one of the greatest of his, of his era. And I think Verlander, I know he, I know in his mind, he still feels like he can win 300. Yeah. And more power to him. I mean, he there's another guy. You stand up next to him at 6'5", 245 or something. I mean, these guys, I, I stood out at 6'5", 240 I pitched early in my career, but I wasn't carved like these guys are. We didn't go to the, we didn't go to the weight room. We went to the ice cream counter or something. <laughs> so, but, uh, but so they're they're just so well trained and conditioned that uh, a guy like Verlander he he could do it. Uh, you have to have a good bullpen because you're not gonna you know you're not gonna pitch complete games anymore. Yeah. Uh, but if you have a good bullpen, uh, you know that can cost uh, a lot of pitchers a lot of wins if they don't have a a guy coming. That's why I think Felix Hernandez won the Cy Young a few years ago because he 
he only what he went 12, 14 games, but he pitched a lot of great games, but wasn't around for the finish. Yeah. Or they don't go deep enough in the game to qualify. Right. right. That, that kind of brings me to our last, last topic here. Um, and I've kept John for almost 50 minutes. Today. I appreciate the time. I know our audience does too, but the Atlantic league, which has been notorious an experimental Frankenstein type of league for MLB front office, uh, a year ago, they had a rule like stealing first base. If there was a pass ball anytime during the at-bat, you could actually steal first base and just start running. Um, this year, they've got the pitching rule where if your pitcher doesn't go, I believe it's five innings. Um, I don't think it's six. I believe it's five. If they don't, if they get pulled before five innings, then you lose your DH and your pitchers have to hit the rest of the game. That's one of their rules. They're also experimenting with a ghost runner rule, which I haven't heard from since gosh, my days in gym class playing kickball where you can put a ghost runner out there. But, uh, any, any thoughts on more so the pitching rule will, will that help with getting conditioning guys mentally, physically to pitch longer now with, with a little carrot stick? Yeah, like- I don't, I don't think I like that rule. I mean, they're, they're going to be, uh, I mean, I looked at, they always said, uh, they, I said, fans, Oh, you guys pitched a lot of complete games. Yeah. I had 180 complete games. And on those days, I really had it together, you know, but that means that there were like 300 and some other games where I was either pretty average or a lot less than average. So if I'm getting knocked around in the third inning, uh, I don't want my manager forced to leave me in the game for five and jeopardize a chance to win the game. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think the Savannah bananas are a nice attraction for fans, you know, good entertainment. They do some pretty bizarre things. They're even going to play, a game at uh, Cooperstown this year, but uh, that that's just entertainment. But I think I would prefer, I like the pitch clock and what it's done for the game. And, and let's just uh, not go out of the box uh, too much. I think what's been done right now is good. People like it. So uh, let's, let's not try to take it to another level. Yeah. Is there any rule right now, as you, we've watched a little bit of the season, any rule that you would kind of pull back on and say, you know, this, this is just not, Making baseball. Well, I've never liked the reliever having to face three hitters. Yeah. Neither do managers because that takes strategy right out of the out of the game for the manager. I mean, I was fortunate I got a World Series ring and got to pitch my last couple of years for the Cardinals by being a lefty lefty, you know, specialist. Maybe face two guys, one guy, sometimes an inning. And now, uh, you know, I, I would come in, for example, to face, say, Chris Chambliss, my good buddy Chris Chambliss. He's a left hand hitter. Well, if I did get him out, Whitey Herzog didn't want me facing Dale Murphy or Bob Horner. You know, he wants to bring in Doug Bear, Jeff Lottie then. So that that just tampers with the strategy of the game. I still wish that one wasn't around. Yeah, I agree with that as well. I, I don't I don't think it would. Is there a rule that you would implement? Anything you you've um, I know we talked about the tacky baseball. I like that as well. Any any Yeah, that's that's the thing. I don't I don't think any any more rules. I don't I don't really care. I just, I like it with the, with the way today with the pitch clock to me, what it has allowed the games I have watched because I want to watch Pablo Lopez and Cole. That was a great one. I like to watch Joe Ryan, but what it's done by giving players less time to think is that it is their, their intuitive natural skills have come out. I like they don't that. step out of the box and rewrap. They're they're in there. Okay, what's the next pitch going to be? So I like that kind of uh, I like that kind of action. So 
I'm just afraid that the more rules, the more we're going to, you know, slow, slow things down. So I, I kind of like it the way, uh, the way it is. I, the other day I was, uh, I was watching a game. Oh, it was, I was talking to my good buddy, uh, J.R. John Reynolds, who's a stage manager out in California. So I had a, a actually a golf question to call. So I got a hold of J.R. Game was in the fourth inning. He said, we'll talk after the game. So I, I'm sitting here watching golf. Next thing you know, the phone ring. I said, the game's over already? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. So I like that part of it, that there's action, and I think the fans and everybody do as well. So I like it the way it is right now. Well, I, I agree. It's, I'm enjoying watching baseball again myself. I've watched yeah. more this early season than I can probably say I watched the last three years combined. Maybe. Yeah, I watched uh, Josh Hader finish off that game the other day and it was it was good because I it was a tough at bat that somebody put on him as one of the Braves uh, might have been Riley but as soon as he got the ball is back on the mound here it is here it is like and that's the way Goose used to pitch and Bruce Suter and all the great relievers and we're seeing that come back again yeah and I watched Aaron Judge hit yesterday and he's adjusted he doesn't leave the box at all that's um, good. He's, That's he's good. adjusted to that. Well, uh, kept you for a long time today. I appreciate the time. What, what did we miss today? What, what do you want to leave the audience with today? Uh, I don't, I don't think we, I think we covered on, on just about everybody. I was going to say, uh, uh, the, the Scherzer thing was the big issue and thanking the commissioner and his staff for the, you know, what it's, uh, for what it's what they've done and what's done for the game. But I, I think just there's a lot of exciting uh, things out there. I haven't seen the phenom yet for the Diamondbacks. Is it Corbin Carroll? Yeah. Yep. They're talking about him being the best player ever. So there's, there's a lot of young stars. And even when I look at the Pittsburgh lineup, uh, I saw Charlie Hayes' son hit his first home run. But there's a lot of those lineups. I couldn't name one player because they're all such new names. But we are seeing a lot of exciting young players. When I read the MLB at bat app the next day, seeing how a lot of these young players are really are really doing well, and that's fun to watch. Yep, and Fernando Tatis is back. We didn't we didn't touch yeah. on him. Yeah, uh, right. what's your hopes and dreams for him? Well, I hope he just. Uh, I, I think he's learned his lesson, and I think, of course, he's got a, quite a showman there in Juan Soto and Machado. I hope. They just uh, keep their head about them and play the game and, and uh, you know, not do not too much uh, fancy celebrating. Just play the game and, uh, you know, when, when the game's over, there's time for celebrating and they can prove the Padres that they have the, the strong team that they think they've put together. Oh, yeah. Imagine him. He's probably not even in the top three right now in that team in terms of talent with the talent yeah. they have. And they had him in right field. That's where they're slated him. So. That's going to be fun to watch. Well, Jim, I appreciate your time today and um, always enjoy doing the show with you. I feel like I walk away getting smarter each time and our audience does as well. And uh, 16,000 subscribers, 16,100. I want to leave people out. Download, listen, like, subscribe. Make sure you rate and review so we can work hard to work with the analytics of podcasting here and continue to provide you great content each week. Uh, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. We'll stream on there. Let me know if you have another one. I'll subscribe to it. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I think I've got my topic I'm going to answer today based on this show, Jim. And then 72 countries now, grassroots to Major League Baseball front offices. We're, we're hitting all those ears. So trying to build a better baseball IQ. And Jim Cott and Cott's Corner, you do that every week. Thanks, Jim. We appreciate you.
All right, Dave, enjoyed it. Happy birthday. Thank you so much.